Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. Now, we have a great show for you today. Now, far too often, Washington passes legislation without any real thought how this impacts people, but most importantly, the business community. Throughout this presidential campaign, we have heard candidates speak of income inequality and the need to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. But what we haven't heard is how this will impact restaurant owners. Now, today on Ubaldi Reports, we will interview the owner of Trips Diner, a not-too-fancy neighborhood restaurant that offers a variety of simple foods located in St. Petersburg, Seminole, and Pinellas, Florida. Now, let's welcome the owner of Trips Diner, Gordon Stevenson. How's it going, Gordon? Uh, good. Thanks for having me, John. No, it's a pleasure to have you. It's great to get a restaurant owner to kind of dissect some of these issues. But first of all, tell us a little bit about Trips Diner. What kind of diner is it? Well, like you said, it's uh, it's not too fancy. Uh, you know, I named it after my kids. I have 18-year-old triplets, so that's where the name Trips comes from. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to make it a little bit nicer than an IHOP or a Waffle House, but not really so nice that it competes against the uh, upper upper-end restaurants. So I, I like to think that it's a nice neighborhood place, um, but not too fancy. So what type of foods do you guys do you serve? Is it breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yeah. or just breakfast and lunch? Uh, no, uh, we're open uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner six days a week. We close early on Sunday afternoons. But uh, other than that, it's pretty standard diner food, a lot of breakfast, meatloaf, sandwiches, salads, you know, good variety. So, so basically kind of an American-style cuisine, nothing fancy, but nothing like a fast food type stuff in Russia. Right. Okay, now – what made you decide to pursue and open a restaurant? Because those are kind of challenging to, to start. Well, I have been in the restaurant business most of my adult life. Uh, like a lot of uh, guys, I grew up having to work my way through college. And a lot of college kids work in restaurants because you can work at night and have a uh, variable schedule. And I was just not smart enough to ever get out of the business. <laughs> no, I hear you because I worked my way through school myself, and I think I was like a busboy, a waiter, sure, dishwasher, you name it, I did it. Uh, but I'm just one of those that just sort of stuck through it. And, you know, when I graduated college, the place I was working for twisted my arm into, gee, you ought to be a manager. And I didn't really have any other prospects, so there you go. And I've worked in corporate environments uh, most of my life, but I wanted to – like a lot of people, just strike out on my own and see if I could do it better and ideally maybe make a little bit of money along the way. <laughs> Heaven forbid make a little money as a business owner. But have you owned your own restaurant before? Was this uh, your first I foray have been to own it? A minority partners before, but this is the first that I've owned along with my wife uh, completely and wholly by ourselves. Okay, that's that's well, that's commendable because one of my favorite shows on on the on the reality shows is Restaurant Impossible. Mm -hmm. I just kind of think that's kind of a, I just like it from a business standpoint. But it's always neat to see how they go into restaurants and try to improve. But well, like a lot of reality shows and TV shows, there are parts of those shows that are realistic, but for TV purposes, you know, they're greatly simplified and dramatized and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, there's bits definitely. and pieces in there that are that ring true. Now, what was the greatest challenge you faced while opening your restaurant? Oh, far and away, it was uh, getting a good staff. Um, you know, 
we have a lot of people that will apply to a new restaurant, um, but getting and settling through and sorting through finding good staff is, is always the biggest, the biggest chore. No, because that's interesting because everybody always hears it's, you know, location, location, location. I don't think anybody concentrated on this hiring the, the, uh, a good staff. Now, how is that so important to hire a good staff to, to kind of move your business forward? Uh, they do all the work. So, you know, if, if, you, don't, if you don't have <laughs> responsible people, if you don't have people that are willing to do the job, if you don't have people that, uh, you know, care about your customers and care about your food, then uh, you have no chance. Now, do you have like a manager that manages the building, I mean, oh, the sure. restaurant? Because you have a couple. Yeah. Uh, I have a general manager and another manager in each location, and I've been lucky enough to get some uh, really good folks that take care of it for me. You know, I, I'm in there most every day, and either or one of the two restaurants, but uh, they're doing all the work for me. Now, in the restaurant industry, especially when I as I opened, when they talk about the you know raising the minimum wage, is there a standard profit margin? in a restaurant industry or is it depends what type of restaurant you own? Yeah, a lot of people will uh, say the restaurant industry as a whole, but real, realistically, there's kind of a lot of layers to it. Fast food is almost an entity unto itself. And then uh, full service restaurants have a lot of subgroups. There's what you might call casual theme restaurants, like what mine are that aren't too expensive. And then you have the higher end restaurants with, you know, the big money and the formal service and things like that. So, um, you know, as a general rule, three to five percent is a kind of a aggregate operating profit. But if you do well, you can do better for sure. But even three to five percent, that is kind of it's not really a big profit margin that people think. I just think people when they hear business that you've got this all this money pouring in. I don't think they understand there's a lot of costs that go into operating a restaurant. Well, restaurants and how we price our food obviously is very competitive. We all know that there's a million restaurants out there. And because of their, it's kind of a low barrier of entry industry, uh, a lot of people that think that they can cook can open a restaurant, so they do. And it's not like starting an airline. It doesn't need millions and millions and millions of dollars typically to open a restaurant. So it's a competitive game and you just can't, you simply cannot overprice yourself or else you're dead in the water. So So it doesn't leave a lot of room for margin on the bottom line. So you really have got to be very organized, especially when you price your food. You've got to really know your food costs. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, we have it down to the penny. I know to the penny how much I'm spending on food for each plate. Now, has technology helped your industry? Oh, yeah. There's uh, a lot of software out there now that has, just like all computer software, has grown over the years that really enables you to track these expenses and figure out how much your recipes cost you and how much your plates cost you and uh, all that. So you really should be able to, you know, have it dialed down pretty, pretty exactly. Now, the other issues when it comes to owning a business, and I'm sure the restaurant industry is definitely no different, Mm -hmm. is the government coming in. Now, obviously, you guys, um, let me restate this, you have to go buy health codes. Are government health regulations, are they clear-cut or are they ambiguous or is that it all depends 
on where you're at? The regulations themselves and the standards that have been set up actually are quite clear. And um, in Florida, managers have to go through what amounts to about a six-hour course and get certified uh, by the state in order to be able to serve food. Uh, All the employees in Florida also have to go through a more abbreviated course in order to serve food in the state of Florida. And even on a national scale, all the standards are pretty well known and pretty clear cut and pretty, pretty explicit. Where the difference comes in is in the enforcement thereof. Uh, different states have different levels of how hard they're going to enforce things. In Florida, it's run by the counties underneath the state, and the counties often have sort of different enforcement ideas. And even Different inspectors within a certain county will have their own, uh, you know, things within that framework that they pay particular attention to or not so much attention to. So the enforcement gets is where it gets vague. So what you're saying is each county inspects the restaurants, but each county can enforce it one way or not enforce it another way or focus on one area and not others. Oh, sure. And even the inspectors within that county, uh, For example, a lot of counties will rotate inspectors periodically. Okay, you have this area of the county, and then a year later we're going to flop it out so you, inspector, don't get too cozy with your own restaurants. Um, Well, here comes a new inspector, and this inspector is particularly interested in this that the other inspector paid no attention to. So (laughs) That's interesting. I never even thought of that. Now, do you pay for the inspector? No. No. It's typically twice a year. Uh, unannounced, they just roll in and say, hey, how are you doing? Time for your inspection. Now, is that the same thing with the um, the fire inspection, or is that part of it? Uh, no. Or is that, that something no, separate? No, that's separate. And that, the fire inspection is quite often by, by excuse me, municipality, and that's usually once a year. Okay. Now, has other government policies affected the restaurant industry? Or is that mainly from state issues or you don't really get things from the federal level except, let's say, a health care or anything like that? Oh, there's a laundry list. And it's uh, at all three levels, government, uh, federal, state and local. So um, minimum wage for sure. Uh, Payroll taxes is a huge expense for restaurants. That's obviously a federal policy. Uh, Unemployment insurance is part of your uh, payroll taxes, and that's generally both federal, uh, but also the state is the bigger part of that. Uh, Immigration policy is a big deal for the restaurant industry nationwide, certainly Obamacare, and the potential for what's now bubbled up uh, paid sick leave. So there's a whole lot of policy decisions at all levels that trickle down to the restaurant business for sure. So that now all those things that trickle down from government policy from the state all the way up to the federal level, that's going to affect your that profit margin, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, food and labor are our biggest costs. Uh, labor in general, if you add up just the raw wages plus the benefits plus the taxes, is usually at least uh, a third of our overall costs. Well, now the, the last the, – what you just said, those two um, – the two costs, labor and food mm-hmm. costs. Now, as I was preparing for this, I was reading about the avian, you know, the bird flu. Right. And I guess there's chicken farms across mm-hmm. the country are, uh, are being affected by yep. this. 
and I think they're having to eradicate or euthanize all these chickens. And yeah, I think six now this has to affect you then, correct? Yeah, I think they had to uh, euthanize sixty or a hundred million chickens in the upper Midwest, mostly. Because I was talking with somebody, you know, on another point, and I talked about egg prices because of this, and he didn't even think about that. He goes, "I didn't even thought about that." Uh, they've more but than doubled. Yeah, but from a restaurant industry, that would have to eat into your profit margin is the egg cost. Uh, yeah, for me, it was brutal because I serve a lot of breakfast. Now, right. a steak restaurant like Outback or something isn't really too affected by it. Um, but for me, uh, it was costing me an extra, you know, thousands of dollars a week just to pay for eggs, which had more than doubled. Well, even what you said, like like on an outback, I don't know if you do a lot of stuff with beef, but beef prices have gone up because yeah. there was they where they um, they cut back. There was something happened to the cattle industry; mm-hmm. they reduced their herds, and that affected beef prices. So, if you're a restaurant, that's got to eat into your profit. Margin. Yeah, and beef prices don't happen to affect me much because just of the menu I serve. So, certainly. Correct. Kind of all the time, there's one sector of food pricing that's going crazy, but then it'll settle back down and it may affect one restaurant, you know, type more than another. Um, but to be honest, over the last five, seven, eight years, uh, food costs have been overall not too inflationary. You know, again, subject accepting some of these individual uh, sector spikes like uh eggs and dairy recently yeah so that just a fluctuates depends what's out right. there could affect you now when you when you have these fluctuation of prices do you adjust your your cost per plate mm-hmm. yeah uh because I know you, you know a good restaurant manager will certainly be aware of okay the price of eggs is going up so therefore the price of these plates that i'm serving is going up you know x amount and we just have to make a business decision on, or is that going to affect our pricing or not? Short-term, small uh, price fluctuations, we usually end up just eating because it's it's not really worth it with our customers to have, you know, market pricing on everything all the time. Uh, but if there is a sustained, you know, price jump and it may be reflected in prices and, and frankly i did have to raise the prices on my egg dishes some some recently but even when you do that it you can only raise it so much because then you become not competitive with some of yeah, your, comp- exactly. your, your competitors out there exactly and that's where uh a lot of the bigger chains have a huge advantage over the independent restaurant in that they're able to negotiate uh future contract pricing on their big commodities so imagine a IHOP or a Waffle House or something, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure they probably have a contract pricing on their eggs so they can pay the same amount for an entire year, whereas I don't have that ability. Well, no, that, that makes sense. I know a lot of the big major corporations do the same right. thing. They, they, they project in the future, let's get it now. I know Southwest did that when fuel prices went up a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. And they... They just happened to did it at the right time. They were very forth, um, forefront about it, and all the other airlines didn't do that, and they got, they got caught. Well, it's hard. a bit of a gamble for them. If the price goes down, then they end up paying more than they need to, but of Correct. course it can save them money on the other, other way. But for the large corporations to 
know and have a steady understanding of what their costs are going to be is very valuable to them. Well, no, that's like any business. You really got to look at your cost. I mean, I don't think people quite understand how businesses work. They just think, oh, you can write this off and you can write this off and you get this break. But you got to realize you got to be you got to know what your competition's doing because you can't raise it too much. And then you become you lose customers that way. Yeah, it's just like any other business. You have to balance your pricing with your costs. Now, you also mentioned labor costs. Now, in the presidential election, we keep hearing about candidates saying, Let's ra- we got income inequality, I got it, but let's raise the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. But no one really factors in how does that impact the business community. Would that really impact your business? Oh, yeah, of course it would. Uh, you know, typical of TV news or newspapers, uh, these issues get oversimplified a lot. You know, understandably, they only have a certain amount of time, uh, and most people that watch news or read news, you know, don't really have the ability or want to understand uh, more nuanced or layered uh, parts of the issue. Uh, You know, as I said before, fast food is almost an industry unto itself, and the minimum wage would have a certain effect on fast food. And it would have a different effect on what we call full service restaurants, where usually, you know, there are waiters and waitresses. We call them servers. Uh, In fast food, anybody that works in a fast food restaurant, if there's a higher minimum wage, then, of course, they benefit in the short run. They're making more money. Um, Correct. But realistically, it's just going to end up being higher prices for customers of those. Um, This is only a guess on my part, but if the minimum wage were to magically go to $15 tomorrow, uh, your pricing on a Big Mac might go up, I'm going to say about 10%. Or wouldn't those, like if let's say fast food, wouldn't fast food restaurants just automate as much as they could? Oh yeah, they've they've been doing that anyway. So, But this would really put that on the next level. Why would you need someone at the counter where you can just type in what you want, swipe your card and just have someone bring your food to you? Uh, True. But the fast food industry has been trying to do that at a breakneck pace anyway. So raising to $15 isn't going to make them do it, uh, go to that any faster than they already are. So that industry is really changing that I think most people don't realize that. Oh yeah. Um, Because labor might even be a larger percentage of fast food costs uh, than even other restaurants. So every minute that somebody is on the clock is highly scrutinized by the fast food industry, that's for sure. Now, you also mentioned it's different for a full-service restaurant. So how would this raising of the minimum wage affect like a full-service restaurant like like yourself? Well, uh Servers have always, in most states, and it it generally varies by state minimum wage law, uh, been paid based on what's called a tip credit. So I do not need to pay a waiter or a waitress the full minimum wage. Uh, I'm allowed to pay them a percentage thereof because everybody understands that they make most of their money on actual cash tips. tips. So if a new minimum wage was enacted... What really matters to full-service restaurants is what's the tip credit going to be? 
for full service restaurants and particularly the higher end restaurants, a minimum wage when it comes to the kitchen staff, which are paid an hourly rate, um, they're already paid pretty much well over minimum wage. Uh, most of them, okay. anybody with any skill that is say cooking or anything like that. Uh, I couldn't hire somebody for minimum wage if I tried, uh, that those rates, you know, vary around the country and certainly in the bigger cities, it's more, but if I'm a skilled line cook and I go to a higher end restaurant, uh, I'm already making at least 15 bucks an hour. So the minimum okay. wage is kind of a, a non-issue as far as those guys are concerned. So the minimum wage going up really would more or less affect the fast food restaurant, not yours, but you're saying because you, most of the, your servers get tips where they make most of their right. money, but no one's really talking about adjusting that tip ratio. Correct? Well, that it, it, it was, you know, that's where the big issue is. Well, okay, we're going to raise minimum wage, but are we, and how much are we going to affect the tip credit? So for many, many years, servers were paid $2.01 an hour, uh, and it stayed that way for a long, long time. That is now up to 503 in Florida. So that difference okay. is a huge difference to us full-service restaurants. And the sad part is the servers themselves don't even care. Oh, sure, I'm making a couple extra bucks an hour on my uh, paycheck, but what really matters to them is how much tip money they're generating. So we're putting a cost on the restaurant owners by literally doubling over the last few years what we pay servers, but it's really not having much effect on the servers themselves because it's all about their tip money. So that's what, because I have a friend of mine who's a server down in Fort Myers, and that's what she's concerned about. Is she always keeps I don't, the tips. That's what I'm, that's my big thing is the oh, tips. Sure. That's where I make my money. But what's definitely going to happen is if the minimum wage goes up higher for full service restaurants and that tip credit percentage, the percentage say stays the same. So therefore, we have to pay the servers even more. It is absolutely going to affect the number of server jobs available. And it is absolutely going to affect the service levels in the restaurant. Because if I have, say, six servers uh, working at one time, well, <laughs> now I'm just going to have to go with five. So that means somebody's not getting the hours, somebody's not getting the tips, and your service is going to suffer. Well, that, now have you followed, because they've raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour, like in Seattle and San Francisco, uh -huh. and they tiered it in. I think now it's like $12 or $13 in Seattle. But Seattle has noticed, and even San Francisco, that a lot of restaurant employees – are being unemployed. They're not getting the jobs and a lot of restaurants either closing or scaling back their operations. So have you followed that? Uh, I know that they have recently raised the minimum wage in Seattle, but I can't say that I know much about what's gone on with the restaurant industry there. I do have experience in San Francisco. I used to work for a company that was based out there. So I've been in and out of San Francisco over the years quite a few times. And the reality in San Francisco is that the restaurant industry there has been going gangbusters forever. It's part of the culture out there. If you work in restaurants or you own a restaurant, it is a genuinely respected uh, profession. And even though the wages are higher, there is no shortage of restaurants of all kinds in San Francisco. But all those costs are just baked into the pricing. So 
living in San Francisco or doing anything in San Francisco is extremely expensive and going out to eat is just no different. So they're paying their employees quite a bit of money. Those employees are having to pay quite a bit of money just to live. And if you go to eat, you know, it's not cheap. No, I understand because I grew up in the Bay Area of California. So I know what San Francisco's <laughs> like. And I know the, the, that East Bay where my brother right. lives. And it's, it is very, very expensive to live uh-huh. out there. That's one of the reasons I moved myself to Florida because cost of living was a lot cheaper out yeah. there. Now, the other thing, has tax policy, whether from the state or the federal government, has that affected or impacted your business? Because I know I was, I was researching this about the business meal tax deduction changed over time. Uh-huh. Now, has tax policy impacted your business? Uh, the meal tax is has affected the higher end restaurants uh, more than the other parts of the restaurant industry. Okay. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, we're entertaining clients, we're going to a nicer place, maybe Correct. not quite so much. So the higher end restaurants certainly feel that one uh, good more than you yeah would. More, more than I would, or certainly uh, fast food. The payroll tax policies are what genuinely really when it comes to tax policy affect us you know there was a payroll tax holiday when uh you know obama stimulus and frankly that was really good for us and when it uh expired you know our our costs jumped overnight so whether you want to call it a an expiring credit or a tax increase is six and one half dozen the other as far as i'm concerned you know i was paying less now i'm paying more now, just for my listeners' sake, what is the payroll tax? Uh, on a federal level, that is Social Security and Medi- Medicaid, Medicare. Excuse Medi- me. Medicare. Even my employees don't know, and I, I find most people don't know, that when Social Security and Medicare taxes come out of your paycheck, everybody understands that they pay that, that your right. employer matches those dollar for dollar. So if $100 is coming out of your paycheck to go to your Social Security taxes, your employer is also paying $100. And the same goes for Medicare. If you're paying $15 in your Medicare taxes every paycheck, your employer is also paying $15 on top of that as well. Now, that's a good point that you brought up because I guarantee it. Most people, I would say almost everybody that I would talk to doesn't know that. They know that they're paying it. But they don't know that their employer is also paying that same tax. Oh, I talked to my own employees about it, and they're like, "Really? You kidding me? Wow, that's a lot of money." I'm like, "Really? Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of money. I love that. Yeah. And um, on top of that, we have, as I was talking about, the unemployment taxes. There is a federal unemployment tax insurance that I pay, which, to be honest, is is not a whole lot. But uh, Florida has its own unemployment tax that I pay that is a lot. So you're paying almost two unemployment taxes then, correct? Oh, I do pay on two unemployment taxes. Federal so and you state. pay one from the federal and state. I don't think any, most Americans don't know that. No. And the state unemployment tax uh, has several factors to it. It can go up. It can go down. It's not necessarily a set rate. Uh, if you're lucky enough to not have a lot of unemployment claims, they will actually cut your rate. Um, But there's sort of a standard rate that you start out with. And when unemployment was so high, Florida was having to borrow 
literally, I think it was two and a half billion dollars from uh, the federal government just to make those payments. So all the businesses were assessed uh, their portion of what we borrowed from the federal government. Like, here you go at the end of the year. Can you write us a check, please? Yeah, that makes that makes sense because California did the same mm-hmm. thing. They borrowed a lot of money from the federal government when unemployment was extremely high. Right, same thing happened and in they Florida. They still have yet to. Yeah, and they. St- I don't know. Had, did Florida pay it back? Uh, yes, they did. And uh, the way they paid it back is they got a check from me. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great because I know California hadn't paid it back yet. I don't know about now because I've been out here for about two years, but. That's interesting because that's cost out of your business. Oh, yeah. And this is, a, this is why I'm trying to get to is people don't understand what a business owner goes through. It's not just you cut something, you say this, oh, look what I did. But there's all these other hidden costs. Well, and I make those payments every two weeks. Every two weeks when I run my payroll, uh, that check goes straight to Tallahassee or Washington. <laughs> and it's funny that nobody – knows this stuff and i just it's it's just fascinating i'm glad you brought this up because it just shows the people that being a business owner is not easy there's a cost to everything nothing is free yep now the other thing is which was probably big in the news and it's definitely going to be big next year and in the last couple of years is obamacare or the health care reform it has that had a direct impact on your business oh absolutely um Washington's great rule of unintended consequences. Oh, Oh, it would be a great idea if everybody was insured. And on the surface, maybe that's not a terrible idea. Uh, Uninsured people cost society a whole lot of money. Uh, But I know many restaurant companies, for a fact, uh, have cut, mandated already, uh, cut how many hours their employees can work. There's a 30-hour-a-week rule. Correct. And so many big companies have said, too bad. I don't care if you used to work full-time. You are no longer getting more than 30 hours per week, period, end of story. So a lot of people that were working full-time are now getting their hours cut. And so it's had a reverse effect, you know, a negative effect on a lot of employees. Now, is that the same with um, if you make – if you have more than, what, 49 employees, then you – go into another level when it comes to health care for your employees? Yeah. Uh, as we all know, I think it was Nancy Pelosi that said something like, well, just vote for the bill and read it later. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. And there are actually a lot of parts of uh, the health ACA, Amer- Affordable Care Act, that literally say, we'll write these rules later. So, you know, we enacted a law that said, we're not exactly sure how we're going to do this. And so consequently, over the last couple of years, as I talk to my insurance agents, the rules change pretty regularly. And so it's very difficult for the insurance industry. It's very difficult for the restaurant industry or anybody else to know exactly what they need to do uh, going forward. So up until, you know, really it was January of this last year, if you had less than 50 employees, you were exempt from this. But if you had more than 50 employees, then you are required to offer some insurance plan that met the minimums required by the law. Well, because I know next year is the first year that, since it's passed in 2010, now the insurance industry has their models they're built Mm -hmm. with. And that's why everybody is going to, no one's paying attention to this now. 
but everybody's going to see their premiums go up because now there's less people, less, less healthy people in the system and more people are unhealthy or didn't have it before. So the cost, the, the numbers just didn't add up. Well, I don't know how all that's going to work out. I mean, theoretically, of course, you get more healthy people in the system and the uh, uh, premiums would go down. Who knows how that's really all going to work out? The, the weird thing that happened to me is I chose not to cut the hours of my employees. And I did investigate uh, offering a health plan for my managers and my employees. But I couldn't get any of the companies to write a plan for me because the employees that had already signed up for themselves under Obamacare were largely getting subsidies. So I couldn't offer anything that would uh, touch their out-of-pocket cost. The subsidies that they were getting was making the cost to them cheaper than anything that I could offer. So therefore, obviously, and you know, it makes sense, why would they sign up with my plan if they can get one themselves through Obamacare, Obamacare cheaper? Correct. So I couldn't get anybody to write a plan for me, so now I can't offer a plan that I'm supposed to offer. <laughs> That's great. It's brilliant. Well, that goes back to the unintended consequences. And the key is they needed to get all these healthy people into the system to pay for the unhealthy. And and it's just a, the numbers just didn't add up. And there's one thing that most people don't realize that was in the health care law. I think it was on page 110 or something like that that if the insurance companies don't get their numbers or don't get the, the revenue they needed, they get a bailout. Now, it didn't say bailout, but it's implied they get, get reimbursed. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to say, we supported a law that we're going to bail out the insurance companies. Well, here's also what's going to happen. Uh, my understanding from my insurance people is that if your employer offers a qualified plan, the subsidy that you are receiving for your individual plan that you signed up, the subsidy will get phased out. So that is going to force people into their employer plans. So much of the cost of this will get uh, dumped onto the businesses and the individual. And that, again, has that unintended consequences because you've got to keep your cost down to a, a stable level because you've got to be competitive with other restaurant mm -hmm. owners. So it just, it has that, which people, I guess Washington doesn't realize because they never run a business that you roll cost to business. They can only raise their prices and do things for so long. Right. Otherwise, they're not going to be competitive. And that means less people get hired. Because yep. if you said earlier, your labor, for your restaurant, labor and food costs are your two biggest expenditures. That's right. But if you, but if you can't adjust your labor costs, you got to adjust somewhere else. Yep. So I might have to offer cheaper quality food. I might have to raise my prices. I might have to put less labor actually on and working. And, it, and that, it still, it goes back to those unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect of, um, what about energy costs? I know energy's dropped, you know, oil prices have dropped, but how is energy prices, does, how much does that affect your, uh, a restaurant industry? Well, it certainly is a cost. Uh, 
you know, I have pretty small restaurants. They're not these, these big buildings and the electrical bill, the electric bill in each building per month, uh, is generally somewhere depending on season, 2,500 to $3,000 a month. So it is a big cost for sure. But over the last few years, it's been pretty stable, honestly. Um, I wish my electric bill dropped as much as gas prices have dropped recently, but <laughs> amazingly, that doesn't seem to happen. No, it, it never no. does. It never does. Now, the other thing, and finally, the last question is, what can government do from the state or even the national level, because we're going into a presidential election next year, what can they do to impact or to help the restaurant owners or the restaurant industry? Well, I think there's a few things. Uh, number one, this is actually my idea on minimum wage. I think that, again, primarily if you think in terms of fast food, uh, what if minimum wage was sort of split by age? Ideally, we all understand that, in theory, a minimum wage job is supposed to be a gateway job. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to be able to support a family or work your entire life at minimum wage and, and have a nice living. So if a high school kid or maybe even a college kid that's working in fast food, well, maybe they should be able to just earn a minimum wage because they're using it for a little bit extra money and some job experience and they're not having to support a family on it, of course. But if you are an older worker, uh, somebody that is trying to make your way and you're stuck in fast food, maybe the minimum wage for you could be a little bit higher. And maybe that's not a terrible thing. The entire conversation of why do we have a society and why do we have an economy where a 40-year-old person that got laid off is now stuck in working first in fast food is an entirely different conversation. Oh, that is an entirely different conversation. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would do. I would split minimum wage, uh, you know, in, and split it up by age. Uh, a high school kid on their first job does not need to be making $15 an hour. No, I, I would agree with that. I would agree. Um, secondly, uh, I really feel like government in, you know, on a global basis, uh, more than anything could work on simple, what I would call competency. Uh, immigration reform is very important. The uh, restaurant business does need uh, what we might consider immigrant workers. So uh, I would be very much against the whole concept of just mass deportation or anything like that. But if we could have a system where the government was actually competent at border control, actually competent at issuing, whether it's guest workers or green cards or alien cards or what, what have you, and being able to control and, uh, you know, uh, keep track of folks and allow them to work uh, and still not be citizens, uh, that would be a huge impact for the restaurant business. Um, even at a state level, the unemployment insurance is you know, and their computer system has been a mess forever and it's very difficult to work with and they make mistakes and things get turned around. It would be really nice if they just were competent at what they're doing. I, I like that word you used for when you did competent in government. Somehow those don't fit into the right sentence. Uh, they are mutually exclusive often, but, on, you know, it, I don't feel like it has to be that way. Well, I, 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 I agree. I just think, I mean, 
I spent 30 years in the military and I look at the VA and I remember in the presidential debate, they talked exactly. about, yeah, we spent $18 billion, but then the IG comes out and says, well, 300,000 veterans likely died because they couldn't get the care. Well, what did you spend the $17 billion right. on? And that goes back into the business. They want to make it easier for a business to get started and easier for the employee to make you know a, a good living or whatever they need to well, do, but not be hamstrung. Yeah. And the, I can't speak to the the VA specifically, but unfortunately, part of this whole equation isn't just the government; it's us. The, Correct. Uh, I, I know I keep going back to unemployment, but the uh, Department of Economic Opportunity—that's what they call it in Tallahassee—is hugely burdened by uh, false claims ridiculous claims that they have to shuffle through that waste an ungodly amount of time and effort and resources on their part just denying claims that people should never be making in the first place. No, you're absolutely, it goes both ways. And I just remember, I mean, my father only had a fifth grade education and he always said, if you want to get ahead, you got to get an education, whether it's a trade Mm -hmm. or college, but you got to get something. And he never, ever said, well, let's take from this guy to give to you. Right. He said, you want to get ahead? You got to work. Mm-hmm. And I worked my way through school and continue to work. Yeah. Uh, I think there's two other things that the government could greatly help out the restaurant business. And I think uh, they both they go for really all businesses. I've never heard anybody say this, but it would be hugely helpful to me if the levels of government could work together in terms of whether it's permitting or taxing or any of those things. Uh, Often the federal, the state, and the local governments all have their requirements, um, but they're interdependent upon each other, but they have no idea what the other one is doing. No, I... Yeah, go ahead. Well, most businesses have said that, especially when it comes to, like, environmental policy as an example. I mean, the federal Mm -hmm. government has one rule, the state has another rule, and... They're not, they don't, they seem like they don't talk to each other. Oh, they don't at all. (laughs) They will literally tell you, oh, that's the federal. I have no clue. Or that's local. I have no idea. But see, the thing that I would like to see in government, and this is a little difficult, I want somebody that understands what a business goes Mm -hmm. through. Because most jobs in America, and this is from Inc. Magazine, this is from Brookings, which is a, a progressive think tank. That's 60 to 80% of the jobs are small businesses. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like government does everything it can to hamper the small businesses because they want to punish corporate America. But all they do is punish the little guy. Yeah. Uh, I often found in permitting and getting these uh, businesses set up that on an individual basis, say a city, uh, for example, the city of St. Petersburg, where one of my restaurants is, I actually found most of the people working in those government offices to be pretty helpful. And most of those people were sort of trying to, to help you out. And, okay, here's what you need to do. And you got to pay this fee. you got to pay that fee. But where I ran into problem is you get a lot of catch-22s of, well, you need this from Tallahassee or the state before you can get that. But you can't get that until you get that from the other state. And it's like, well, what do you do first? <laughs> it's very, very, very <laughs> difficult. No, that is a challenge. I mean, I mean, like I said, I came from California, ran a little business out there, and that's a nightmare out there. Oh yeah, I've heard it's uh it's worse. There are many, many, many restaurant companies 
that absolutely won't set foot in the state of California. It's just, it's just not worth it. Well, it isn't because you've got confusing tax laws, the permitting pra- practices. Mm-hmm. That I mean, to let people know, they're not the Boy Scouts. Right. These guys, it's very confusing, and it really hampers starting a business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we need to change the nexus in this country is make it easier for a business to get established. Well, and that becomes upper-level political uh, attitude. Uh, It is well known within the Tampa Bay area that there are some city municipalities that are willing to work with you and helpful and will try to do what they can to kind of get you off uh, on the right foot. And then there's other municipalities where it is just a gigantic pain in the neck and they could care less and they will do anything to mess with you. And that's the, that's what needs to change. That's what the whole purpose of this podcast is, is to let people know, not take a partisan stance because Republicans are just as bad as Democrats and all this stuff as well. Absolutely. Is I just want people to realize when you push something or you advocate something, there's an unintended consequence Mm -hmm. and the small business guy is and gal got to be you know correct they're getting killed and it's just i just look and i follow politics probably more than the next person but i'm not seeing anything coming from either side that's really going to help the small business owner or help that entrepreneur get established yep and the one last issue is sort of a it's a more global issue but it really really affects us and I know many, many other businesses is uh, how this society is dealing with our drug issue is greatly affecting to our businesses. Uh, there's just far, far, far too many people uh, wandering around that uh, cannot be responsible to a job, that cannot get a job, that uh, have no skills, that are. Um, you know, just not really helping out businesses or not uh, from an employee level because they've got drug issues and they're either incarcerated or not incarcerated or uh, they either, you know, not able to get the help or they try to get the help and they can't uh, do anything about it. And it, it makes it really hard for someone like me to find uh, employees that can make my business go. So when you're talking like, so you have to, you drug test your employees when they come to work for you? Uh, I do not. There's a pretty significant cost to that. Um, But regardless of whether a company chooses or not chooses to uh, test for drugs, it's, you can't find enough people that sort of aren't on drugs. So if I even, if I chose to test for drugs, uh, I could do that. But my applicant pool would be shrunk tremendously. So that goes back to when they talk. So you would be against the um, what's those laws, the uh, medicinal use of marijuana, medical use of marijuana, because it affects the business community. Uh, You know, marijuana is the least of our problems. I'm talking I'm talking the hard stuff. Oh, wow. There's just people wandering around all over our society that have much deeper problems than just smoking a little weed here and there. And they cannot uh, function as an employee. Talk to a, talk to a plumber. 
a plumber uh, has brutally difficult time finding people that have those skills and a huge reason why those people, uh, why they have it is because there's, they just have too many issues with substance abuse. So, it, you know, it can be alcohol, it can be marijuana, but it, it, it's everything. Well, that's an interesting concept. I don't think most people factor in drug use and how that impacts the business community. We just say how it impacts society, but I think we need to look at it. What is it? How does that affect the business community? It's absolutely the greatest source of turnover for me. And when I lose an employee, uh, it costs me a lot of money. I have to train new people. There is a uh, there's a payroll tax threshold that uh, changes throughout the year. So once an employee earns a certain amount during the year, then their payroll tax actually drops a little bit. But if I turn that employee over, then I start the clock at zero again. So. Oh. That's a good. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's another issue that either government and doesn't understand or doesn't or not looking at and how that impacts the business community and your 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 guys' bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now the final question. I'm going to say this is the final question. How can somebody who's in the Tampa Bay region, Pinellas County, or um, Hillsborough County, how can they find your restaurant? Uh, just get on the you got a website. It's, it's www.tripsdiner.com. T-R-I-P-S-D-I-N-E-R. You can search it. It'll pop up pretty easily. All kinds of directions, websites, all kinds of good stuff. So it's a, and it tells you about menus, yep. what you have. Mm-hmm. Menus, pictures, I went to, the whole bit. Yeah, because I went to your website, a very good website. I just want my listeners to know, so if you're in this area – Go to this restaurant because you're going to be well served. I just want to give you the opportunity to give a little plug about your business. Yeah, we're on Martin Luther King North, a little bit north of downtown St. Petersburg, and we're in Seminole right on Park Boulevard uh, near the lake. Okay, perfect. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Gordon for being on. Now, you can hear this interview on and other interviews like this on Ubaldi Report. You can go to Stitcher or iTunes. Sign up. It's free. Let me know what you think of these interviews. I'm going to try to have more of these. Would love your concern. Also, I have a book out called The New Business Brigade. It's on Amazon. Bestseller. You can get it at any the major retail store like Barnes & Noble, and it's a best-selling author, meaning the book is all about why businesses need to hire veterans and the untapped resource they represent. And if you go to my website at Ubaldi Reports, Go to the bottom. You can see a crowdfunding campaign I do so we can expand this podcast to reach more and more people. But again, I would love to thank to have Gordon Stevenson on this program and let people know what the challenges he faced as a business owner in the restaurant industry. John, I really enjoyed talking with you today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on and have a great day. And thank you for coming on. We'll try to have you on again. All right. Thank you.